The Book of Mormon is filled with stories of deliverance and bondage, and then back to deliverance, and then back to bondage. It seems to go around and around. And nowhere is this jumping out at us as much as the events that surrounded the martyrdom at Ammonihah, with Alma and Amulek having to watch in horror as their beloved converts were burned at the stake. Horrible setup. And yet we're finding out that for these Israelites who saw their entire existence bound up in uh, bondage and then deliverance by, quote, uh, power and an outstretched hand, it fits right into the Israelite narrative. And it would have made sense to those Nephites as they're looking at how they would be delivered, both as a people and then individuals like Zeezrom that have his own little deliverance that needs to be made. Join us today for an interesting discussion with the class about uh, bondage and deliverance uh, among the Nephites. Thanks for joining. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. All right. Uh, welcome, welcome to class. I thought we'd go down an interesting uh, path here as we're in the middle of uh, looking at the, the Book of Mormon. Um, and I love this, I love this quote by, it's in Exodus. And we get this. Uh, and it, this is at the time that they are uh, leaving uh, Egypt and they're establishing things like Passover and Sukkot and all these holidays that are all related to the Exodus. Okay. And it shall be that when thy son asketh thee, in time to come saying, what is this? Why are we celebrating these, these uh, holidays? And, and what they want the kids to know is, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us from Egypt and from the house of bondage. And, and again, that's one of those things when you look, for instance, at Passover, is they want them every year to remember the Exodus. And that the laws were given during the Exodus and bef between the time they left Egypt and before they got to the promised land, the law is given, it's given along the way, okay? So I kind of stepped back from that just a little bit because I realized I was trying to look, when, I, when I'm looking at the scriptures, I want to find the patterns that exist over and over and over because if you see the pattern, then you can look at a different experience and you see where the Lord is staying with the same pattern. Well, I found out that there wasn't, the, the pattern was different than I thought. Uh, and it just suddenly hit me in a rush, kind of what I was looking at. So 
let me detail this because we're going to talk about uh, today how as Alma is re is is uh, going through a reformation in the church uh, after Ammonihah and Zarahemla, these are very Jewish people, and they're going and the Book of Mormon is going to make a point of saying these are very Jewish people who are looking at the world Jewishly, uh, and so we need to be able to kind of put that in in form here. Okay, so there, if you don't look at uh, Egypt or, or uh, Israel in 70 AD being finally conquered by the Romans and the temple is burned. There's two major events that happen that give us this cycle of bondage and deliverance in their history. And the first is the Egyptian exodus. Now, they, they go into Egypt. Why? What was the purpose of Egypt in the first place? There was a famine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you're going to find it does over and over and over. It's just this cycle that goes around, right? So if we take the one of the whole nation, of course, at that point, Abraham would have been like the whole nation, right? Uh, okay, so they're going to survive the famine by willingly being able to survive by going into Egypt. And the hand of that's reached out to them at that point is Joseph. Joseph has been able to arrange to save his family, and he's going to say to even the brothers, God put me here to save you. Come on in, come out of where you are, come into Egypt, uh, and, and you will be saved. And they were. But not just them, everyone. Yeah. Everyone they, they were. But, but what was different about Israel, in this case, was the fact that 400 years later, they're still there. They saved the Egyptians, but these guys kept saying, no, our home's in Canaan, but 400 years later, they're still there. And, and they stay in bondage because, as we know, another Pharaoh came along who knew not Joseph. And now they went from willing exiles who survived the drought to now we have been put in bondage and we are slaves to a Pharaoh that is going to use us and our labor to build cities and 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 we can't leave okay so they they go in of their own accord and are blessed but they stay for 400 years because of the wickedness of pharaoh okay now how do they get delivered how are they getting out of bondage well at that point then the escape or the deliverance is going to be directly because um, by power and the outstretched hand, like it says in Exodus. And, and literally you get this, and this phrase, the outstretched hand, or the hand stretched out, is going to be repeated over and over and over, even in Book of Mormon. But in this case, we kind of think of the outstretched hand, like this is under Moses' direction, but it's Aaron's rod. So they're going to be saved at the Red Sea. How? by the outstretched hand and by power. Two important keys, power and outstretched hand. Okay, That's how they escape. Now, I found it's interesting. So in, in, their, in their history, when they're looking, first of all, at the Exodus, 
there is, there is another very painful moment, and that is the Babylonian exile that kind of runs alongside of this. So we have Exodus meaning Egypt, and then the Babylonian exile. Now, how come they ended up in exile? Who done the wicked? They did. They did it their own dang selves, right? This was, this was uh, even though Josiah, 100 years before that, had tried to say, we're trying to save the people because we found, we found some part of the law and we're going to try and live it strictly and all those kind of things. By the time they get to uh, the time of Lehi, the, the king is trying to play Babylon against Egypt, and he says, I'll be, I'll be uh, faithful to Babylon, but he's trying to court Egypt on the side and get those guys battling, okay? And, and Nebuchadnezzar goes berserkos, and it's, it's, a, it's a, in the scripture. Yeah. yeah. So if I look at this, and my bullet list, uh-huh. an opportunity that he could have converted Egypt to Christianity and it doesn't work out. I don't know how much he tried. Right. But the 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 Egyptians were blessed by the hand of God through the Pharaoh's and Joseph's inspiration. And they didn't accept or recognize that God had blessed them. They they attributed it to something else. The Israelites, uh, uh, they come in to Egypt, and they're saved by Joseph's hand. Right. And they have the opportunity to bring their culture and share it. What they do is they bring their culture and and try to hang on to it, but they try to remain separate. Yeah. And and then while they're remaining, because we're still Jewish, we're not Gentile. Yeah. We're not Egyptian. Except over these four hundred years. They embrace all the Egyptian uh, gods yeah. and cultures. Yes. And so now it takes uh, Moses and Aaron and God, I don't know, six weeks or six months or a year, to rescue Egypt or rescue Israel from Egypt. And it takes them 40 years to partially rescue Israel from the Egypt culture. Hang on to that idea, because you're right. We have the same thing in our lives. We we are misguided, and God blesses us, and we think that we got blessed some other way. Okay, all right. Well, there's the whole lesson. Thanks for coming. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Because you're you're about to see that play out, and you're going to see it play out, and it really comes to bear with the Babylonian exile. Okay? Uh, because there is this idea, because he's, he's right, that in a sense they had to get out of Egypt, and then Moses was trying to get Egypt out of the people. And all the way across the wilderness, they still got the Egypt thing. They got, well, we ought to go back there where we got fed. Yes, we were in bondage, but we got fed. And we didn't have to eat this. We loathe this white bread you keep dropping on us, which was nice for the two di- first two days, you know, but even lobster begins to get old if you eat it day in and day out for years, right? Um, so anyway, uh, Babylonian exile. So this, so what happens this time? This time it's the wickedness of the people, particularly the leaders. 
uh, in how that they dealt. And particularly, you can look on the outside and say, yeah, they were courting Egypt um, and, and got in trouble with Babylon. But the Lord is going to say through Jeremiah and other sources, but what you really did, I could have protected you like I did with Hezekiah, but you were starving the poor. You were using the law to enrich yourself and they, their food, their land. And in fact, it says, I think it's in Ezekiel, their food, their land, you, you had it. You, you were getting it from them. You were starving them. And that's not how I look at this. Okay, so the wickedness of the people in general is why they end up in Babylon. Now, here's, here's what's interesting about what happens this time, though. Why did they stay in bondage? Well, initially, remember, they're crying on the banks of the river, and they say, oh, we long for Zion. We were, we were there. We've lost our temple. We've lost our city. And here we are sitting as refugees at the riverside. And they're looking up at the great lion gate, the blue lion gate of Nebuchadnezzar's city. Um, and we, we can't get in there. And they've taken our best kids, you know, like Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They've all been hauled into the temple. They stole all our best people. You know, we've lost our culture. Um, and the interesting thing is, over time, they become more comfortable, much like the Israelites did in Egypt. Okay? If you think about, if my choice is the Judean desert or the hanging gardens of Babylon, where, where, this is not bad. This is a little more better. Okay? And it's not, and the, and the educational, broader educational thing, this is where a lot of the Bible, Hebrew Bible is finally compiled and put together is in Babylon. Okay? It's just, it's like, we're stuck in Kansas, and we end up in New York. <laughs> How do you keep them on the farm after they've seen Gay Perry? <laughs> you know, the, the farmer kids that went off to Europe in World War One, and like, hey, this is kind of cool. I never would have guessed. Why would I want to go back to Kansas with corn, right? This might be more better, okay? So they slowly become more comfortable. Now, how long were they in Egypt? 400 years. How long are they in Babylon? What's going to happen here is that after 70 years, Cyrus and the Persians are going to come in and they're going to conquer the Babylonians. And Isaiah is shrewd enough to go, hey, I'm going to put in here Cyrus, his, a, a great savior is coming. His name is Cyrus. Ooh, cool. I can be great. And so what he's going to do, they are actually allowed and sent home after 70 years, not 400, by Cyrus. Go home. Go build your temple. Go back. You know, we're going to kind of have you as, as uh, satellites. Yes, you can provide some stuff for us. But great, we're going to send you home. And here's the weird part. Through the benevolence of Cyrus, they're sent home, but most don't return. They don't. Uh, most are going to stay with the hanging gardens of Babylon. And just a few are like, yeah, I couldn't wait to get back to that Masada area. <laughs> it wasn't Masada at the time. But just like that Judean desert is kind of cool. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Most won't return to Judah. In fact, uh, like we've said a few times, at the time of Jesus, there are about a million Jews in, in Israel. There are another million still in Babylon. Uh, in fact, Paul's, Paul's teacher, Gamamiel, is from Syria. He, he, he's from the Babylonian area. That's why he's friendly to Gentiles. Um, and then there's another million or so around Alexandria, Egypt. They just scattered and didn't come back. These days, if we were going to say how many Jews are in Israel versus how many Jews are in the rest of the world, it's just barely tipped over to a few more Jews in Israel than there is in the rest of the world, but there's almost as many in New York. <laughs> you know? It's like, we're not going back. It's nicer here. We got the hanging gardens. It's cool. Okay? So they don't, so a lot of them don't return, so they stayed, so they kind of put themselves, I'm not going back to that land. I'm going to stay. Okay? Now, one of the ways that we know this, just side note, a lot of the Old Testament we know is, is written and compiled uh, and organized in Babylon. It's where they finally had the ability and they were working with Babylonian scribes because there's a Babylonian style in the way that it was put together. Um, and, and then when they get ready to translate and actually organize it really well, where does that take place? What we call the Septuagint, where the where the um, uh, Hebrew Bible is actually translated into Greek. Well, that takes place in Alexandria. That's the Septuagint. That's the seventy elders writing. So the two and and by the way, those still in Babylon come up with their own version of Torah. It's called the Babylonian Torah, and it gives us great information about Torah. So. Some of even the greatest works are coming from uh, Africa and coming from Babylon. They're not coming from, but it just gives you an idea of how much the thing was spread out, okay? So isn't it interesting? In each case, you're going, why is this history important when we're talking about uh, Ammonihah? Two things happen here. With the Egyptian exodus, uh, the survival of all of that, uh, and the bondage was the wickedness of the, the leaders. They stayed in Egypt, or they stayed in Babylon of their own accord. Now, why is this important then? That's that question. What about us? What about us? Well, at times, guys, do we find ourselves needing... Uh, Deliverance from our bondage. Think about the things that we, we are either enslaved to or think about the things that we, whether it's physical stuff, family stuff, spiritual stuff, uh, we need rescue. And we're in bondage. And what I recognized was that sometimes whether due to our own actions, sometimes our choice, or the actions of others, their choice, we end up in bondage and we need deliverance. We need deliverance from captivity. We're getting real close to the plan of salvation here, right? 
Okay? We need deliverance. Now, how, do, how does that happen? Well, the scriptures make it plain. Old Testament, Book of Mormon. Deliverance comes by power and the outstretched hand. That's how that works. We are delivered by, we need power and, and a stretched out arm beyond our own efforts. We think we can do it ourselves. Um, again, with, with all due respect to self-reliance courses, <laughs> if we think we can do it ourselves, we're mistaken because it's by power and the outstretched arm. Does that make sense? And again, I think the exodus and exile give us a sense of sometimes it's our wickedness, sometimes it's their wickedness. Sometimes it's their choice, sometimes it's our choice. Either way, we're still going to need that outstretched hand and by power. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. So self-reliance uh, could be viewed more as helping us cut the strings of bondage and, uh, and relying on the Lord. Than, I mean, I mean, I know the titles are self-reliant. Yeah, I know. But, but the doctrine taught in self-reliance is to get out of bondage and rely on the Lord. Yeah, and the first thing, and we've mentioned this before, and the first thing you learn in self-reliance, it doesn't matter the course. Cindy and I have taught self-reliance class. Personal revelation. And then what? Then find experts. Then find, then connect with accountability partner. Pair up in your class and report to each other sometime during the week. Then if, if you're starting a business, find an accountant. If you're starting personal finance, you know, every one of those is about, okay, now connect. Now connect, now connect. And, and isn't, interestingly enough, we're going to do self-reliance as a self-study course. No, we do it as a group. <laughs> and hold each other accountable. Okay? So the Lord directs by power, and sometimes that outstretched hand is God, and sometimes that outstretched hand is somebody in the ward who knows something we don't know. And, and having to trust in that, okay? Sometimes it's personal revelation, sometimes it's conference revelation, but we're still getting help. Does that make sense? Yeah, John? Bondage. Um, can we talk about what that really is? Because I think sometimes people think they're in bondage. Oh. And they really, it's because life isn't what they want it to be. And I think teenagers are pretty good at this sometimes. At bondage? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... Um, you know, maybe you're in a situation that this is that you are needed to be in this situation. Yeah. And uh, yes, it isn't. Uh, you could always get out of it. You could, you know, quit your. You know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Say you're taking your your life is going to be handled, taking care of a handicapped child. Yeah. That, that, that's not bondage. But it may. But if you're taking care of a handicapped child, it may feel like bondage at the moment because your life has been hijacked, right? Oh, oh. That you learn how to, how to cope with this and, and yes. deliverance is just getting all the things we were talking about. Sometimes, that's right. Sometimes Egypt is your situation isn't going to necessarily change, but we're taking the Egypt out of you, right? Mm -hmm. And so that you're able to maintain. I, I sat across from a, from a girl yesterday, and I was about to put her in bondage. You know what the problem would have been? She might have two callings. <laughs> the horror 
that see my, I don't think I can do that. I think I'll melt down if I have two callings. Okay, we'll work on getting you out of one of those callings, right? Yeah. And, and they're both going through the same physical Ordeal. experience, but right. the spiritual experience of the two is entirely different. Sometimes it depends on where, and that bondage may be, th th think about it also in terms of, as we're going to talk about in just a second, sometimes that bondage is sin. It doesn't feel like bondage. At the time it feels like I like doing this. And then it turns out, wait a minute, no, this is bondage because it's tying me in to something I can't escape. That's a lot more universal than the example of yeah. having uh, a dependent. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. We all have these different levels of where our, our bondage lies. Guys, sometimes bondage is just getting old. <laughs> you know, my body doesn't do what it's, what it used to do, what it's supposed to. You know, bondage might be we're having this incredible financial hardship and we can't go and do, and we're just wondering how we're going to meet all of our, I mean, look at all this, the, the different stripes of bondage. It just, and, and, and all the same rules apply. We're needing to be delivered by uh, power in an outstretched hand, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, the story was that when this little boy was born, or very small child, the mother left. It wasn't her thing. Right. Whatever the reasons. And so the father, who was a very nice man, but was with the had to have been taking care of the child. And uh, he wasn't sure about the church, but eventually he accepted the gospel. He got baptized. And then his sister moved into the ward, who was divorced, and was a special ed uh, oh, wow. person, right. assistant, whatever you call them, aide. In the right. They ended up getting married, getting sealed in the temple, and it had such a happy ending. And I thought, you know, this is what, because he, because of him, and because of, I think, choices he made, right. he was able to be blessed by him. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes we're not going to know where the deliverance is going to come from. Right. That if, if we have faith in that, I know I, I can't I'm I, I'm constricted, I'm controlled somehow by circumstances, by my own choices, whatever it is, that we start looking for deliverance. We might be surprised when it walks in the door. OK. All right. So so part of this, then, is I want you to see that how very, very subtly. Mormon, who had, to, who had to go back and read the whole history and have his own experience about what happens when people's choices resulted in them having less freedom and ultimately that the end of an entire nation. But he's also looking at the whole history of the Nephite nation and going, wow, we've done this before. <laughs> there, there is a, hey, this keeps happening, you know. Um, 
So I want to I want to go from there. Then um, in the aftermath of the martyrdom we were talking about last time, where the uh, the the people are burned in Ammonihah, and then then you look at. Cindy, can we see that all right back there? <laughs> You're not wearing your glasses. So. <laughs> all right. Um, now, this, isn't it interesting that at this moment, right after the martyrdom, remember that Alma and Amulek are then put where? In bondage, in prison. There's... They're stuck here, okay? And they're being slapped and they're being starved and they're being beaten, okay? And that happens for quite a while. And finally, at some point, Alma is going to say, how long will we suffer these great afflictions, O Lord? Kind of sounds like Joseph Smith, doesn't it? From Liberty. How long will the, where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? How long will thy hand, yea, thy pure end be stayed from the saints okay when are we getting out of jail when are we getting out of bondage when are my people getting out of this oppressive bondage they're under okay alma cried how long shall we suffer these great afflictions O lord give us strength according to our faith which is in christ hold on to that idea in just a second we're going to hit that one in a sec even unto deliverance and finally they break the cords they're bound. The people see this. Um, uh, it was so great was the fear. They fell to the earth. Uh, Alma and Amulek are not hurt. They're walking out of this. Uh, it's almost like right out of a Hollywood movie. You know, you, you know the Hollywood loves the, the scene of the, the buildings blowing up and the hero is walking away with the explosion behind him and he's not even looking back. You know, I blew it up and Okay, well, these guys are walking out of this out of this uh, prison. It's collapsing behind them, in dust everywhere, and they're walking out of it. Okay, and then then you have to love Mormon's little uh, uh, piece he throws in here. I think it's kind of fun. The people hearing a great noise are coming, running together. They see Alma and Amulet coming forth out of the prison. The walls have fallen to the earth. They're all struck with great fear. They flee from the presence of Alma and Amulet, and then this little note. Even as a goat fleeth with her young from two lions. It's not often you get that kind of literary flair, but in this case, and thus they did flee from the presence of Alma and Amulek. Right? Now, so let's talk about bondage for a sec. They're going to come out of here. Let's go over to chapter 15. And it came to pass that Alma and Amulek, they're commanded to depart out of that city. They depart. They go into Sidon. Here's where they find the refugees that had been cast out of Ammonihah, and they'd been cast out in stone. It sounds like the majority of them were male. You get this sense. Because they believed in the words of Alma, and they related to them all that had happened unto their wives and children. When you think about, that's a hard conversation. Yeah, they were burned at the stake. You know, you've lost your wives and your kids. Ouch. That, that's a hard conversation. Now, there's a more complicated conversation coming up here. 
<coughs> and it would be a very natural human conversation to have. And look, two, uh, they related all that had happened in their wives and children and also concerning themselves and of their power of deliverance. Now, if you kind of say that a little bit simplistically, and I don't mean this, you know, sacrilegiously, yeah, your wives and children got burned at the stake, but we're okay. <laughs> we made it. We're good. You should have seen the walls falling, you know, and we made it out of prison. Uh, and, and again, if anybody's going to go back and watch the last episode of The Chosen, you're going to, it comes up again. It's another thing. If you are one of these people whose families were just burned and martyred in Ammonihah, and Alma and Amulek are standing there going, yeah, but there was great power. We were able to be preserved. What natural question might you ask? And that's right. And, and how many times, how many times do we have that conversation in fast and testimony meetings? You don't want to say it. You're happy that people had deliverance. They got healed of cancer. And they're grateful to the Lord that the doctors knew and saw and stuff like that. And it, we were healed. We made it. And then you ask, I don't want to say what about me, but what about me? What about my family? How come I didn't get rescued? If I had just... Because we want to say, I, and I believe it was because of the faith in my family and the fact that this ward uh, fasted and prayed for me, the stake prayed for me, and we were healed. And it didn't happen to my family. What about the people? That, and, and, I, and guys, however, whatever spin we want to put on that, there's not always a great answer. We want to say, well... Actually, Alma and Amulek were more important than the people that were martyred. So the Lord is going to save the more important people. And the others. that doesn't go well, does it? How, well, you know, well, the Lord, the, the Lord, I mean, Alma, a Mormon's take was uh, that Alma's understanding was we're going to let these people are going to die so that the justice will fall on those. And they know that their punishment was just. Okay, that's Alma's understanding of it, but still you've got to explain that to the families that go, did I have enough faith? Did I try harder? Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Do you know what we have a really hard time as members of the church? Just a super hard time. We have the hardest time to investigators, to kids, to classes, to simply say, I don't know. I don't have an answer. We want to we want to give a, a the gospel doctrine answer. We're going to boil it all down. Why would why would Nephi cut off Laman's head as opposed to or Laban's head? Why would he do that? When there might have been another way to do it. Yeah, there might have been a way to do it, but that's the way he chose to do it. Do we have an answer for that? 
No, we've got Nephi's understanding, okay? But again, I just think we are, guys, be, be careful not to be so quick to give the definitive, this is the one true answer, whether it's gospel doctrine or priesthood or relief society or something, when a lot of cases, why would, why was our cancer not healed? Why would, you know what, sweetheart? I don't know. One day we'll know, but right now I don't know. And I'm so sorry for your loss. How can I help you rather than try to provide the one true answer that then solves the whole thing that now we don't need to have any more discussion because we found the one true answer. Now you know. Okay? We are. We, we're really so fast to do that. Be careful. So, so earlier in this particular case, uh, the reason why all the I know. Um, but, and, and there certainly would have been people among this group that would want to know, okay, why was my family destroyed and now my family like we're not destroyed? But I think there's also going to be a large component of this group that are wondering, why was my family destroyed and not me destroyed? They would go there too, wouldn't they? I would rather that I would have burned in their place as opposed to them. Couldn't I have swapped out? Okay, so so along these lines, let me just say, when it comes to something like this, I know what Alma is thinking, and I know what is said. I just don't think sometimes it feels completely satisfactory. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't have a complete. It just doesn't feel, and it could be something like that. I simply, I might have been able, been willing to trade out. Just really be careful not to really go too fast that we know all the answers to things, because boy, there's a lot. And the Book of Mormon is beautifully written so that we don't get definitive answers. Yeah, well, and there, yes. And so, so we're going to go from this citywide kind of thing, and now Mormon is going to weave it into a personal thing. That's why I say this is so well done when we talk about deliverance and captivity. Okay, so they're going to relate. So now he's going to go. Let me give you. Let me give you the micro view. Verse three. Now Zeezrom, who was the attorney for the prosecution and has the back and forth as, as they would do to defend the law and why they're keeping the law the way that they're keeping the law. Zeezrom's going to lay sick. Now, I, I just find it, guys, this is so interesting. Whether this was deliberate or not, there is this contrast that I think is interesting. What happened to the people in Ammonihah? Well, they're going to burn the, the martyrs. Ultimately, they will be destroyed. Uh, and, and isn't it interesting that when we talk about Zeezrom, how is his pain described? Burning. His pain is described. He is, he's laying sick with a burning fever at the bottom of that. He had, 
It did harrow up in his mind until it became exceedingly sore. And because he didn't have deliverance, he had not yet been delivered. Therefore, he began to be what? Scorched with a burning heat. Okay? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? It's like the, the wicked man inside him is almost being martyred here, is being burned, burned away. What fire does is it, uh, it is the opposite of building, right? Fire breaks everything down. It destroys everything. Well, you get this old, this old view of things. Uh, and I, and I, put, I put up here at the top of the verse, there's a term that sometimes gets used a lot, some, a lot in, in scholastic circles that I think is kind of cool. And that is that we have these, we have our way of looking at the world. And, and it, we call that a paradigm. It's almost like everything we believe about the church or family or government or our world or whatever it is lives inside this bubble that we call a paradigm. It's how the world works. And then at some moment, some little piece of information comes flying in here and it bursts that bubble. And the paradigm ruptures and it just collapses on itself. Sometimes when I'm on the when I'm looking at other voices online and stuff like that, I see this where there's like, I believed in the church, I went on a mission, I did all this kind of thing, and then I found this one piece of information. You know, Joseph Smith did this or Book of Abraham that or something. And for a little while, their paradigm burst. <laughs> Prophets are always supposed to be perfect. Prophets never make a mistake ever. And then Joseph Fielding Smith said we'd never fly to the moon. Okay. <laughs> it, <laughs> and then you have to start to rebuild. How does my paradigm look if, if, Prophets can be inspired, wonderful, well-meaning people and occasionally make mistakes. Can we live with that in our new paradigm? Well, you're having to decide, can I do that? Well, for Zeezrom, here's this moment, his paradigm of the law of Moses, protect the law of Moses, get rich from the law of Moses, protect the people that are twisting the law of Moses because it's, uh, it's what good people do. And then his... Inside world's on fire. Now I have to say, maybe there is sin. Maybe there is redemption. Maybe there will be a Christ. And I have to think, so, so here's, the other, here's the other player in here. Who is it that's going to approach Zeezrom, who's going through this major crisis? Alma. What in the world would Alma know about going through a faith crisis? About having his world blown up? When he thought he was doing the right thing or he thought he was smarter. Who, who better to do this than Alma? Yeah, and, and remember, a, a, a Alma 1 says what? Oh, that I were an angel and could have the wish in my heart. Well, guess what? It happens with Zeezrom. He gets to do for Zeezrom what Alma, what his angel did for him, which I think is just incredibly cool. But Zeezrom is going through this paradigm rupture. Now what do I do? Alma and Amulek, they come, and then his heart begins to take courage. Maybe they didn't burn. 
Maybe they're okay. I don't know. Now, five. So they come immediately. They go into Zeezrom, and they found him in bed. And again, <laughs> uh, Mormon just wants you to see this imagery again. I just want you to know that he's also on fire. They found him on the bed sick, being very low with a burning fever. And his mind was exceedingly sore. And I think those are some of the same words that Alma used in his own experience. Go to Alma 36, you might see it. Exceedingly, because of his iniquities. And then he saw them. Now, here it comes, you ready? Remember the deal with what got, what got the, the, the children of Israel out of Egypt? It came by power and an outstretched hand. Think Jewishly, lay it on the Nephites. And Mormon's going to drop this in. I just don't think it's an accident. could be an accident. could just be. A, but I just think it fits so well. Okay, right? When he saw them, now who's going to stretch out? It's the Ezra that with the stretched out hand. I need help. I need deliverance. I was talking to a, uh, a bishop. Uh, this last week, who's trying to help a member of his ward, uh, and this and this family is in really dire straits. And every time he reaches out to dad to go, could we provide some food? Could we provide some stuff? Dad keeps going. No, nah, we're fine. We got it. We're okay. Not only are we okay. Guess what? Second coming is probably coming next week, so it's not really a big deal. If Biden's the Antichrist, it's about to happen, man. You know, and so I don't need help. And, it, and so he's got these kids that are in really desperate straits and are really hurting. But dad's fine. He's got them. No problem. No stretched out hand. The only thing we could probably that he was willing to, the reason I know, is the only reason he was able to, the only help he could provide was maybe your kids could use some counseling. Okay, we'll go with that. So I'm lining up counseling in my office for these kids who don't need help. But we'll get them anyway. But they don't need food. Okay. Now, he's going to stretch out and besought them that they would heal him. Now, this, there's gosh, so much in here. There's like a, a lesson every few verses. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the nice thing about this this software thing that I've got is that I can embed all of these notes right into the, the verse. Unfortunately, it's not available at the moment. It's one of the reasons why I don't buy a new iPad or update mine because I'd lose this software package. Uh, okay. So here we go. Six. Now, wouldn't you be tempted to say? And it came to pass that Alma said unto him, taking him by the hand, do you believe in Christ? We would, let me teach you about Christ. But look at how this is phrased. And I think this is so critical here. Okay, Zeezrom. It came to pass that Alma took him by the hand. See it? The outstretched hand. Here comes the power. But where's the power? 
Believest thou in the power of Christ unto salvation? Years ago, uh, so, so I, I had one of those paradigm ruptures. Years ago, the first time that I read the book by Stephen Robinson, Believing Christ. And his famous phrase in there is, uh, do, do you believe in Christ or do you believe Christ? I, do I believe that he lived, that he's the son of God? Yes, all that. But do you believe Christ when he says, I will heal you? There is this jump we have to make. Do I believe that he's an historical figure? Do I believe he's in the Yes. But, but what Alma is not asking is, do you believe that there's a Christ? What's he asking? Do you believe in the power of Christ? Do you believe in the deliverance of Christ? Do you believe in the redemption of Christ? Do you believe in his power? Here's the outstretched arm, but the power is Christ. And it's in Christ. And because sometimes we, we get stuck in our deliverance because we just think, well, this is just the way I am, or this is the way my family is, or this is just, I can't ever change. If you believe in the power of Christ, if you believe that Christ is there, well, Christ can be there, but he might hate me. Christ might be there, but he saves other people, not me. Christ is there, but he offers deliverance to the people that sit in the front rows, but those in the back rows, you're toast. He's going he's gonna to take care of the bishop's family, but the, the single mom on the side, she doesn't get as much. Or do we believe the, the power of Christ to change and transform and heal and rescue. I, and, and that it may sound like semantics, but man, oh man, is that a difference? Do I really trust in his power to do what he said he's going to do? Okay, yeah. So when Alma had his heritage show, yeah. it wasn't until he reached out to Christ. Absolutely. That he has the same issue, and Zetron has a responsibility to reach out to Christ. And we have people who have faith to be healed, people who have faith to heal. You can have faith to heal, and that works fine when you're healing someone who doesn't have the responsibility to have the faith to be healed. You can heal a child in their ignorance. Yeah. You can heal somebody in their ignorance, but not in their rebellion. Yeah, because sometimes in their rebellion, they're busy rebelling against the power. So sometimes Matthew Kelly can't fix it. <laughs> yeah, even as much as he'd like to. And other times, Christ can fix those who are innocent and ignorant through any priest's authority. And, and exactly, exactly. Okay, so I, I love this. So again, so Alma's saying, believest thou in the power of Christ? Yes. And and he says, I believe all the words thou hast taught. That's, you know, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I'm, I'm learning here, you know. It's like a Amulek's response to Alma's preaching was, well, I knew, but I would not know. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite sure I'm ready for this. But here comes this, Power of Christ unto salvation. Yeah, I believe. I'm there. I'm getting there. Uh, Nephi is going to say the same thing to the angel. 
do you believe? Well, I believe all the words my father said, Lehi. Okay. Hallelujah. He, you know, the angel breaks out in great. Wow, that's cool. All right, we can work with that. Okay. Yeah. Neither does Cindy, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I think his real illness was that his mind was exceedingly sore because of his iniquity. And that's where this, I think, why don't cancer patients, why didn't this person get healed by this physical thing? But, but that's the real place. Yeah. That part of what I help establish and keep going and take care of and defend is part of how these people ended up dying. And part of my efforts, maybe not right at that moment, I suddenly realized, maybe don't do this, that it might have got Alma and Amulet killed. Yeah. So that's the part where you have to really draw the redemption of time to accept it. And I think, this is what I think, and I think people who are left, left behind, someone can't remember his, if it's a tormented person, they still die of cancer and the Lord did all of that. Right. The part is your yeah, and the soreness of your mind, and it's interesting in the soreness of our mind. That's why Alma 41 says, we're our own judges. Whatever, whatever judgment you may be worried about at the last day, it isn't going to compare to the judge inside your own head. That is, that's the harshest judge of all. Okay, especially when your paradigm's wrong. And you don't think there's a source of redemption. And then you find out, wait a minute, there's the power of Christ. Whoa. Okay. Um, and then uh, Alma in 10 is going to say, uh, Oh, Lord, have mercy on this man. Heal him according to his faith, which is in Christ. Okay. Now. So now we're going to watch somebody get delivered, which is really kind of cool. And. Now, he, he, he leaps on his feet, verse 11, began to walk. Um, it's done to the great astonishment of all the people. Um, now, I find this, so, so there's an interesting line here, and I'm not quite sure what to do with this. And it may be that there's no distinction here at all. But tell me what you guys think. Typically, uh, the, the way that, that we work currently in the church is if a child or somebody's going to be baptized, we say, are you ready to be baptized as what? Uh, be a, baptized as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, that's how we're going to look at that. Okay. Uh, and this may be not different, but I think the wording is significant. And in some ways, I think this would make... Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to think about this next time I am asked to give a baptismal talk. Because I think there's some power here as well. Because Alma's not going to say, and the church was, was uh, organized, uh, certainly. So there was a church that he could have been um, baptized into. Verse 12, Alma baptizes Zeezrom where? Unto the Lord. Isn't that cool? That's the same, Paul, that would echo what Paul would say. He, you're going to go down into the grave uh, and you're going to be like Christ in the fact that baptism is, is symbolic of going down into the grave and coming up as a, 
as a new member, as a new uh, member of Christ, that, that you're going to take on the new person. And what we're going to get here is Alma's going to baptize Ezra unto the Lord. Uh, now he's going to establish a church, uh, consecrated priests and teachers in the land to do what? Baptize to the Lord. Okay. That's, that's not far off uh, at his father's baptismal interview. You know, you want to be baptized? Well, are you willing to mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need of comfort, be a witness of Christ? The, those are the three questions according to Messiah. Okay. Well, in this case, they're being baptized unto the Lord. And they're going to, there are many, they flock in around the region, and they're baptized. Okay. Now, probably to the Lord, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and on top of that, guess what? Ha- the 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 saints. Uh, on on uh, January or uh, July twenty fourth, eighteen forty seven, they come into the valley. It's a Saturday. They park in the valley. The next day is Sunday. Guess what they do? They're all baptized. <laughs> they rebaptize themselves as a commitment. That and that one of the traditions of the early church was that they would baptize a lot. Not necessarily as members of the church, but to recommit, to reorganize, okay? Like that. So before the church was organized, Joseph and Oliver Calvary were baptized in the Lord. I think they were. Yeah. After the church was organized, it was organized as a legal entity, and people were baptized under the church under a legal umbrella. They come up into the Salt Lake Valley, they're no longer in the United States of America. The church is not perhaps considered or known to be a possibility in the territory that they're in. Yeah. So perhaps that's part of the reason as well. At least, I mean, yeah. what, what we're taught later in the Book of Mormon as they're compiling, is to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is also what has been taught in the Bible. Yeah. You know, the Catholics baptize in the mm-hmm. name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. There's, there's got to be a legal it could be. posture there that's appropriate. But if we stood in a, in a baptismal kind of thing, and you're giving the talk on baptism, and you talk about you're going to be baptized unto the Lord. You'll become a member of the church. I don't think you'd be far off if you're saying part of becoming no, and, and baptized to the Lord. Yeah. Well, we 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 think. We think, we think, right? Yeah, certainly Alma had given them the authority to, to do that, right? 
Um, now, now, so, so now he's going to talk about, so, so there's, there's two last things here that I want to throw in. Okay. Now, I want to get to the Nahors in just a second, but I want you to look at this one. And I don't know when we talk about bondage and we talk about needing deliverance. I think you might miss this one if you're not careful. Verse 16. And it came to pass that Alma and Amulek, Amulek having forsaken all his gold and silver and his precious things which were in the land of Ammonihah for the word of God. Now listen closely. He being rejected by those who were once his friends, get it, and the rest of his profession. But look at the next one. And also by his father and his kindred. If you go back to the time that Alma is ministering to his family, to Amulek's family, and, he, and they bring Alma in, and he's blessing his family, if you'll go back and look, his father was included. Now, my question was, and I put it in here, above verse 16, Father and kindred were blessed by Alma, but rejected. And there's a possibility in my mind, don't know for sure, but most likely betrayed Amulek. And because and, he also needed deliverance from this trauma. Okay. How would the people, uh, how, how would the people in the city of Ammonihah know who was, who Alma was teaching in Amulek's home? Could have been dead. At the very least, part of what Alma needed or Amulek needed deliverance was is that he was betrayed by family and friends. Now think about from a forgiveness standpoint, I don't know if there's a more powerful emotion in all the world than betrayal. If you feel like you've been betrayed, that is a mountain that is so hard to climb. But betrayal is tough because you trust and then it breaks in, right? Somebody gives me up as a Christian, and I'm executed by the authorities because I'm a Christian. Yeah. Is that a betrayal? Because if they come to me directly and say, "Are you a Christian?" I give myself up. Yeah. As a Christian, right? I get executed, and I don't feel like I've betrayed myself for the Lord. So it kind of. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, let's say that your think about you think about your all your kids. Your kids just got burned, and your wife is the one that gave them up to the authorities. You go, well, it's sacrifice, and they made it to the Lord, and now they're exalted. Blessed be God. You have to make your analogy if it's plausible. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it could have been that Amulek was going, my dad would never do that too. He's getting blessed. That's what, but, but the closer it is, the deeper the betrayal, Right? That's why I say there is a deeper hurt that is at work here with Amulek going, not only did people I love, my family, probably my wife and kids were probably burned, but one of the voices that may have caused this might have been my dad. Well, that, that cuts deep, man. That is, you talk about deliverance, betrayal and forgiveness and those kind of things. That's, that's, you need power in an outstretched hand to get past that thing. That's hard. That's tough. Yeah. So this is similar to what happened to Abraham. This is similar to what happened to Joseph. 
We really don't. We don't know, but what, what they really did was they exercised faith that if they professed to be followers, that they would go into the furnace. Yeah, and yeah. They were like, no, I, I know that the furnace is hot. <laughs> I'm going with my knowledge. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying, guys. It, rather than try and assume that we know what the exact answer is, the Book of Mormon leaves us hanging. <laughs> the Book of Mormon leaves questions. And, that, and it should. Great scripture should leave a variety of possibilities, and you have to decide what you think. And you've got to decide where the Spirit guides and, and directs you. Okay? Um, I, I mentioned to you before, uh, uh, let me just say it again, um, that, that again, I, I, saw, I, saw the meme, I saw a meme the other day uh, from an atheist, Talking about the fact that, you know, on Passover, you know, that that they're painting blood on the lentils so that so that the angel of God will know which set of babies to kill. Which firstborn get and I'm and I'm reading that and I'm going, wow, that doesn't actually sit well with me. <laughs> Do I think it actually happened that way? It might have. That would be troubling. But it's also possible, given that some of this was put together in Babylon. Maybe it was more symbolic. I don't know. But I think, again, great scripture leads us for us to say, let's put our own beliefs and where we are into the picture. Okay? And, and I, I, think, I think this is one of them. Now, one last thing here before we wrap up. Um, so, 18, of course, Alma's going to take Amulek into his, his own house, and he's going to administer in his tribulations. Alma's got... Amulek has got tribulations. This is, I think he's got post-traumatic stress <laughs> myself. You know, watch your family and your converts all get burned right in front of your face. And, and maybe your dad had a hand. I, that's hard. Okay. Now, here's, here's Mormon. He's going to make sure we're going to administer a little justice here. 16. So they're going to talk about this battle. So here's the, the battle the next day. You know, they're going to move on. The Lamanites start to attack. We know it has to do with the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. We'll talk about that later. Um, but nine, thus ended the 11th year of the judges. The Lamanites haven't been driven out of the land. And the people of Ammonihah, those guys, what happened? They're destroyed. Every living soul of the Ammonihahites were destroyed. And also their great city, which they said God, which they said God would never destroy, you know, aside, by the way, because of its greatness, but behold, 10. In one day, it was left desolate, and the carcasses were mangled by dogs and wild beasts of the wilderness. We want to give you the most visual thing. They got theirs. God executed vengeance. They got theirs. Now, I find it fascinating, and I'll just, I'll just throw this in. Remember how they said to Alma, when Alma first comes into town, we don't believe your traditions. We don't believe your traditions. We're not of your tradition. And Alma's going to say, oh, then let's talk about Lehi. Okay, We don't believe in your tradition. 
Can I tell you one tradition that might have been sitting there? And I just found this this week. And I went, wow, this I've never known this before. I went back to Mosiah 12. And this is when Abinadi is teaching King Noah. And look at what he says. I'm going to hop over to Mosiah 12. Look at this. This is Abinadi preaching to King Noah. Woe unto this generation. The Lord said, stretch forth thy hand. Sometimes that stretching forth the hand is a curse. Okay? Stretch forth thy hand and prophesy. Thus saith the Lord. It shall come to pass that this generation, because of their iniquities, shall be brought into bondage, shall be smitten on the cheek, yea, and shall be, listen closely, driven by men and shall be slain, and the vultures of the air and the dogs, yea, the wild beasts shall devour their flesh. Abinadi is saying, if, the, if a city gets so wicked, they will be driven by men and their flesh will be devoured by dogs. Yes. And who is God, right? Yeah. So I, isn't it true? Yeah. No. And, and Alma and Abinadi are both saying, this could happen to you. And I'd say that's probably a tradition that the people of Ammonihah said, we're a great city. Nobody's going to eat us with by dogs. And here it is. And so what, uh, what Mormon is doing hundreds of years later is saying these traditions came true. That's how you come to have developed faith in God. He says he's going to do something, and he does it. And the scriptures are there to say God says he's going to do this, and then, it's, and then we have proof that it happened. And in this case, I think one of those traditions was, this is what happens to wicked cities. They're going to be driven by men, shall be slain. The vultures of the air and the dogs and the wild beasts shall devour their flesh. And by the way, three, and it shall come to pass that the life of King Noah shall be valued as a garment in a hot furnace. <laughs> wow. All right. So back, back to Alma 16. I just think it's interesting that uh, Mormon wants us to know, because he could have left, guys, he could have left this out. They were destroyed. No, he's going to go, no, let me tell you how they were destroyed. Let me tell you how bad it was. It was so bad that every living soul was destroyed, and also their great city, which God said they could destroy. Uh, but ten in one day, it was left desolate, and the carcasses were mangled by dogs and wild beasts of the forest. I mean, he's almost, he, he may even be quoting uh, Abinadi. I just think it's amazing. Okay. And so bad it is, their dead bodies were heaped on the face of the earth. He just keeps going, right? They're covered in a shallow covering. So great was the scent. I just, I just want you to fully get the whole picture of this thing. Okay. <laughs> First of all, they're like, they're, they're running from like uh, sheep from lions, stuff like that. Then they're going to be destroyed. Dogs are eating their carcasses, and then their dead bodies were on the face of the earth. They're covered with shallow corn, and so great the scent that did not possess the land of Ammonai. For it was called the desolation of Nahor's, and it was, and it smelled really, really bad. And it was, and those were slain, and their lands remained desolate. It's like, do you get the picture? <laughs> Repent, <laughs> knock it off. Reach out to the power of Christ and get delivered so you don't get mangled like dogs. I, I just wanted to paint the more, the, anyway.
<sighs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> oh, wow. I sometimes wonder, and I've mentioned this, I sometimes wonder if some of the doomsday scenarios we get over the events that are going to happen at the second coming, maybe they're exa- it happened exactly like this, and maybe sometimes it's symbolic, you know. Mormon wants you to make sure, no, this really happened. This ain't symbolic. <laughs> this is bad. This is really, really bad. Uh, don't get destroyed and don't die and don't stink. No. All right. Is that, is that plenty? Yeah, Joan. Yeah. Yes. 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 They have peace for three years. Yeah. Yeah. He becomes a super missionary, Zeezrom does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that I think at the end of this, we have to take this personally and say in our own lives, we may not be burning people at the stake, but we have our own deliverance that is needed and we too can be delivered by the stretched out hand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, and his, even Alma's dad. So we go Abinadi, and then Alma the older, and then Alma the younger, and then Zeezrom. And, and, and while all, the ter- all the time this is happening, guess what's happening in a parallel universe? Ammon, <laughs> Lamoni. You know, you were going to get this parallel. there. So the next verse is going to be these two individuals meet up with each other and and in tow are the one thing i love that the power of one that that's perfect um before we before we finish so let me wrap up jonah something you said you're right they only stay good for three years i think one of the messages of the book of mormon is that when you try to get people to repent by fear you get short-term gains and not a long-term gain. That fear is not the thing that ultimately in the long run will convert people permanently, but you can get a short-term gain off of it. And over and over and over, Nephite prophets went more for the fear button, heaven and hell and burnings and stuff like that, and they got short-term gains, but it didn't last. That's one of the tragedies, I think, of the Book of Mormon. All right, lot, huh? So, next week, we're over here to Alma 17, and we get, here comes, so Alma's going to go home, and guess who he runs into? Ammon and the boys, okay? And, and there's a great reunion about to happen, and we're going to get uh, the chopping off of the arms and all that good stuff. So, um, bury my testimony, and I, I keep trying to do this, guys. Look how loaded this is. 
look how deep and the stories and stuff that come out of here that is just so beautifully done. And bear in my testimony that it can change our lives if we hear those lessons. And I, I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.